Video starts at 13.50. Intro. Of course it's absurd. It's as I suspected. Well, I must defend my name. No, you must do no such thing. Oh, my honor, I will, my lord, I must. I know you yearn to defend your name and your honor, but the common mind has no capacity for this sort of nuance. It's, they simply don't understand the world as we do. These villains and heroes, that is all. Yeah, my lord. Deny, deny, deny. All men are not equal in heart and spirit. From a short history of Christianity by J. M. Robertson. Taken individually, then, an average Christian of the second century was likely to be an unlettered person of the lower middle or poorer classes, living in a town, either bitterly averse to idols, theatres, the circus, and the public baths, or persuaded that he ought to be, utterly credulous as to demons and miracles, incapable of criticism as to sacred books, neurotic or respectful towards neurosis, readily emotional towards the crucified God and the sacred mystery in which were given the body and blood, devoid alike of aesthetic and of philosophic faculty, without the thought of civic duty or political theory, much given to his ritual, capable of fanatical hatred and of personal malice but either constitutionally sober and chaste or chronically anxious to be so, and in times of persecution exalted by the passion of self-sacrifice, perhaps then transiently attaining to the professed ideal of love towards enemies. But the effective bonds of union for the community, whether in peace or during persecution, were rather the ruling passion of hostility to pagan beliefs and usages, and the eager hope of salvation, than any enthusiasm of humanity social or even sectarian. And, as an orthodox ecclesiastic has remarked, we cannot even cursorily read the New Testament without being astonished by the allusions so often made to immoral persons calling themselves Christians. From a new model of the universe by P. D. Uspensky. Only degeneration and decay can proceed mechanically. Initiation gave freedom from this gloom, gave a way of escape from the never-ending anguish of the abodes of the dead, gave a kind of life in death. This idea is expressed more clearly than anywhere else in the Easter hymn of the Orthodox Church, which undoubtedly comes from very remote pre-Christian antiquity and links the Christian idea with the idea of the mysteries. Christ is risen from the dead. He has conquered death with death, and given life to those who were in tombs. There is a remarkable analogy between the content of the mysteries and the earthly life of Christ. The life of Christ, taken as we know it from the Gospels, represents the same mystery as those which were performed in Egypt on the island of Phile, in Greece at Eleusis, and in other places. First of all the idea of esotericism tells us of the knowledge which has been accumulated for tens of thousands of years and has been handed down from generation to generation within small circles of initiates, this knowledge often relates to spheres which have not even been touched upon by science. In order to acquire this knowledge, and also the power which it gives, a man must go through difficult preliminary preparations and tests and prolonged work without which it is impossible to assimilate this knowledge and to learn how to use it. This work for the mastery of esoteric knowledge, and the methods belonging to it, constitute by themselves a separate cycle of knowledge unknown to us. One and the same idea invariably runs through the teachings originated by these people, namely, the idea that only a very few can enter the esoteric circle, though many may desire to do so and may even make the attempt. The esoteric schools which preserve ancient knowledge, handing it over from one to another in succession, 
and the people who belong to these schools stand apart, as it were, from ordinary mankind, to which we belong. According to the idea of esotericism, as applied to the history of mankind, no civilization ever begins of itself. There exists no evolution which begins accidentally and proceeds mechanically. Only degeneration and decay can proceed mechanically. Civilization never starts by natural growth, but only through artificial cultivation. Esoteric schools are hidden from the eyes of ordinary humanity, but the influence of schools persists uninterruptedly in history, and has the aim, so far as we can understand this aim, of helping, when that appears possible, races which have lapsed into a barbarous state of one kind or another to emerge from that state and to enter upon a new civilization, or a new life. A savage or semi-savage people or an entire country is taken in hand by a man possessing power and knowledge. He begins to educate and instruct the people. He gives them a religion, he makes laws, builds temples, introduces writing, creates the beginning of art and the sciences, makes the people migrate to another country if necessary, and so on. Theocratic government is a form of such artificial cultivation. Biblical history from Abraham, and possibly even earlier, to Solomon, is an example of the civilizing of a savage people by members of the inner circle from the Colbrin. The barbarian asks, Who and what is the supreme spirit? Say unto him, Conceive it as a being even above your greatest God. If it helps in your understanding, see the supreme spirit as a God reflecting his image as yourself. The barbarian seeks a God he can see, but try and make him understand this is impossible. The barbarians are still children and these things do not easily come within. Because of this it may be best if they were taught by simple tales, like children, and so brought into the light gradually. A belief in the Supreme Spirit is of no great importance. An inquiry into his nature by the ignorant is purposeless foolishness. It is of much more importance to men that they believe in their own souls. Belief in a God of any sort without belief in the immortality of man and his godlikeness serves no end. If a God existed without man deriving any benefit from his existence, it would be better for man to ignore him. This, however, is not the case. Man seeks unity and communion with the Supreme Spirit only for his own benefit. Man has a destiny founded in something greater than himself, and hence his need for that something. The existence of a Supreme Being is not just something to accept, believe in and ignore. A belief, faith alone, cannot be ends in themselves, for nothing exists without purpose. Simple belief in a Supreme Being is not enough, we must know the purpose or intention of the being. If we believe this Supreme Being created us, however this was brought about, we must seek to discover the purpose behind our creation. If we were created to serve some purpose, to do something we were intended to do, we must do it or earn our Creator's displeasure. Does the potter keep the pot useless for its purpose, or the smith keep unwrought metal? Only things which serve the purpose for which they were intended are kept and cherished. Therefore, we who are brothers, were taught not only to believe in a Supreme Being but also in our similarity to Him. The Supreme Spirit is not a stranger beyond our ken, the powers of the Supreme Spirit infuse every fiber of our bodies. For the sake of the barbarians it is perhaps best to call the Supreme Spirit, God, the God without a name. 
this will solve some difficulties, and if the barbarians think themselves superior because they contain him within a name, let it be so and hold yourself in peace. The barbarians make images of God to make him more understandable. Are we much better who make images of him in our likeness within our thoughts? Not perhaps because we believe him so, but to make him more understandable. As man's understanding of God increases, so does God recede, so that though through the ages man comes to understand God better, he ever keeps the same distance away. We who dwell in the light of the Supreme Spirit have come closer to understanding, not because we are better men but because we have devoted our lives to the search, the mystics. If any man seek carefully and diligently enough he must find whatever it is he seeks. God is not a person, but the Supreme Spirit. They must also learn that the spirit is not something separate from man, or something within him. Man is spirit, man is soul. I am not born, nor will I ever die. I am Haru the Enlightened One, Haru the Twice Born. Having crossed the dark waters myself, I carry the others across. Being free from fear, I free others from fear. Being unrestricted, I ease the restriction of others. Knowing the way, I show it to others. Having trodden the road, I now guide others along it. I am an illuminated one, the open of ear, the keen of eye. I am one who knows the law, I am a keeper of ordinances. To obtain the gem the serpent must be aroused and then overcome. To rouse this serpent is a thing not to be lightly undertaken, for it causes a fire to mount into the heart, which may destroy the brain with delusions and madness. Only the twice born can really obtain the gem. Then you pass through the portal to the Hall of Judgment. Here, for the first time, your light is revealed and it is made known whether your tongue has spoken in accordance with the things within your heart. Many are they who know the words of the tongue but sever these from what is written in the heart. If the words of the tongue are copied from the writings of the heart and are a true copy, then cross to the place of assessment where your true form and likeness will be displayed for all to see. A curtain of darkness descends, there is a heavy dark mist, then the muffled crash of thundering doors. The aching body reclines within the tomb of stone. The questing pilgrim has returned to his helm haven. He has learned truths he could never learn on earth and now knows the grand secret. Faith is replaced with certainty and he is now an initiated one. He who sees his own self in all things and all things in his own self is awakened. He is beyond delusion and outside the reach of futile sorrow. Having arisen from the womb of rebirth, the spirit is completely freed from any doubt about the immortality of man. The truly awakened soul is beyond carnal lust and mortal grief, his love is alike for all my creation and thus he shows supreme love for me. If a man would know heaven, he must first know earth. Man cannot understand heaven until he understands earth. He cannot understand God until he understands himself, and he cannot know love unless he has been loveless. God is unknown but not unknowable. He is unseen but not unseeable. God is unheard but not unhearable. He is not understood but he is understandable. The people of those times spurned all spiritual things and men lived only for pleasure, caring little for the good of mankind or the future of the people. The goal of life is upstream, not downstream. 
man must struggle against the current, not drift with the flow. From the revolt against civilization, the menace of the underman by Lothrop's Doddard, it is this elite which leavens the group and initiates progress. From the Bow and the Club by Julius Savola. The last point to which I will allude in these short notes no longer pertains to the definition of the pure concept of initiation in itself, but rather to the connection between the level of initiation and that of mundane reality and history. Particularly in recent times the conception of the secret character of the quality of the initiate has prevailed. The following saying of a Sufi, Islamic initiate, could be cited, that I am a Sufi is a secret between me and God. The hermetic character of the initiate is clear, moreover, from the initiatory current from which this adjective is specifically derived alchemical hermeticism, one of the main currents in the post-Christian West. But if we go further back in time, a different possibility is also attested. If we focus our gaze on those civilizations which, in an eminent sense, we may call traditional those civilizations which had an organic and sacred character and in which all activities were adequately ordered from top down at the center of such civilizations we often find, quite visibly, figures with features similar to those attributed to initiates. As this center is constituted by an imminent transcendence, so to speak, meaning a real presence of the non-human in the human, which is expected of particular beings or elites, there is a corresponding form of spirituality which defines the initiate and distinguishes him from the priest, for example, because the priest, at best, is a mediator of the divine and the supernatural, but does not incorporate this element in himself through the character of centrality. The divine royalty at the origins of a great number of civilizations had precisely this metaphysical character. Low-level IQ and white pride. The West has clearly lost its self-control in trying to vent its anger against Russia. It's destroying all the institutions and rules it itself created, including the inviolability of property rights. The West's arrogant philosophy, based on its own feeling of superiority, exceptionalism and impunity, must come to an end. I had a comment on one of my videos. There's a powerful book, or instruction manual, that through providence I found, that demystifies this chaotic world we now live in. This book is called, Go Free, A Guide to Aligning with the Archetype of Western Kind. Go Free was written by Jason Cohn aka No White Guilt. Go Free positively changed my life, my worldview and freed me from the chains of the anti-white narrative fundamentally altering my perspective, away from the news and entertainment media's anti-white interpretation of reality, to that of a point of view which is centered upon white well-being. Go Free is like a deep well offering many mysteries, it's simple to understand, but the deeper you look the more you will discover. So I went to see. It's so dumb. These white people fighting for their color. Or like those Christians fighting for their savior, it's so dumb. From Go Free, A Guide to Aligning with the Archetype of Western Kind by Mr. Jason Cohn. Dedication I dedicate this work to white children. They will suffer far more than we have if we do not secure well-being of Western Kind. Low-Level IQ. From the Decline and Fall of Civilizations by Kerry Bolton.
commerce is the concern of foreigners, and the intrusions bring with them the corruption of the Russian soul and culture in general, in speech, social interaction, servility, undermining Russian brotherhood. The Cossack Brotherhood was portrayed by Gogol as the formative process in the building up of the Russian people. This race formation is not one of biology but of spirit. Gogol described this process among the Russians as an expanding mystic brotherhood under God. The father loves his children, the mother loves her children, the children love their father and mother, but this is not like that, brothers. The wild beast also loves its young. But a man can be related only by similarity of mind and not of blood. From the Missing Lands, Uncovering Earth's Pre-Flood Civilization by Freddie Silver. Maya, like Maori or Waitaha, refers not so much to genetics or race but to a way of thinking, it is an overarching principle defining a group of people. What this Western Christian civilization cannot understand. Race is not related to blood but to the state of mind. According to my good friend, the Maya teacher Miguel Angel Vargara, Maya refers to a person who has raised their consciousness through the understanding and application of sacred knowledge. One is not born Maya, one becomes Maya. Such a title is adopted as a collective noun when a group of people share the same spiritual ideal or aspiration. This is why Avola spoke of the race of the spirit. Initiation has nothing to do with it, for the product of it is the dissociation with the body. What apparently a tiny minority can understand. Now, what was the second part of the question? Do you think it's uh, still possible for anybody uh, to call himself or herself a traditionalist, a traditionalist in the sense of um, the way the great thinkers of the traditional school were tradition, call, are called traditionalists nowadays? Well, the, the thing about um, being, I would say, a real traditionalist or pure traditionalist is this only applies to an individual that has gone through a process, a transmutative process, by which he or she no longer identifies with physical realities, objects, persons, aspects of one's own person, uh, one's body, one's uh, inclinations. So once all these things are, so to speak, burned off and one realizes uh, the, the essence of what one is, this is when one is actually in touch with tradition, which one could call a traditionalist, and acts according to absolute truth. So from the outside, an average person may not be able to identify someone who has actually assimilated tradition. You know, the old expression, it takes one to know one. In a sense, this is true of, of a true traditionalist. It would take a person who has been through a certain disciplinary process, like one of the yogas, like uh, bhakti yoga, for example, for a long period of time and finally had a sudden realization of ultimate reality in order to realize that another person has achieved that state as well. And the Upanishads, the Hindu Upanishads, um, there are several statements um, to the, the central meaning that thousands or millions try these different paths. Some are relatively successful and only a few succeed in making it to the end. So it, it shows you how unusual it is for a person to actually comprehend tradition and, and then 
rightfully describe him or herself as a traditionalist in terms of assimilating the entire thing and transmuting themselves into something higher than, than just their physical selves and, and higher than their, um, their physical inclinations or their psychological states. Well, a minute ago, you, you talked about how psychology is not equivalent to metaphysics, essentially, that's what you're saying. Um, and Gaynon talks about this quite a bit also, about how psychology, from the perspective of tradition and true metaphysics, is just another aspect of, uh, you know, physical science in the broad Aristotelian sense. It's just another special science. Although it makes claims about the mind, this does not entail that it's talking about something deeper than the mind, which is the self. The, as the mind is just another aspect or expression of the self, just like the body is. Well, there's this belief that um, the unconscious can be a better explanation for overall human behavior than the conscious, the conscious mind, which is antithetical to the traditional approach to reality. The traditional approach is always encouraging the individual to become more conscious of reality. And by doing so, reality is understood better. But there's this diametrically opposed approach in modern structuralism to understand the quote, deep structures of the mind. And again, this can be physical or this can be social depending on how they define it. But this is the idea that to understand more about ourselves, we must understand our non-human aspect in essence better, our, our aspect that is more akin to the animal world than the human world. Because in tradition, the human world is the conscious world completely conscious world. The more human you are, the more conscious you have become. It has nothing necessarily to do with intelligence as we define it today, but with becoming more conscious of our true identity. Again, in modern structuralism, the attempt is to go in the opposite direction, to try to explain uh, human behavior by observation of animal behavior. And this focus on behavior in general, which we have in behaviorism. So ultimately you have this sort of descriptive ontology rather than an explanatory ontology and modern structuralism. You're describing structures that you're also tending to identify with animal mental structures, so to speak, rather than saying this is a different reality that we have here and we need to go higher rather than lower in order to understand it. Higher in, in terms of tradition would be the divine or metaphysical, lower would be uh, the less realized, uh, more attached to the physical world, more attached to sensory experience, more attached to desires and inclinations. Yes. Um, yeah, the reference to the stones only living forever, that's from Michener's Centennial, the novel Centennial. And it's um, a Native American father talking to his son about life in general, and the nature of the duration of our existence. Um, say, by definition, if a person is truly modern, has assimilated the modern completely, then the answer is no, the sacred is not available, not accessible. Uh, because there's this systematized defense mechanism within the modern individual 
to reject the possibility of the sacred. And in fact, modernism could be defined as the sort of uh, unconscious and conscious effort to prevent the idea of the metaphysical from entering their, their thoughts. Their belief being that they can better explain all what they would call phenomena without recourse to the sacred or the metaphysical. So there's sort of this, um, this focus on what they believe to be a sufficient explanation and that applying their idea of Occam's razor, there's no need to appeal to the metaphysical or the sacred. Um, I think the sacred is something that is totally other than what one expects. One has to keep that in mind in order to leave the possibility of encountering the sacred. So if you've entered that train of thought, that entrained consciousness that moderns have, by definition, that says that the metaphysical cannot exist, then you have entered a train of thought that is sort of a controlling train of thought, where you don't allow for things beyond what you want or need or can presently conceive of. I think it's based upon uh, a sort of developed anti-ethic. Yes, please go ahead. No, we're back. Yes. I, I think that um, the, the systematized modern approach of discounting the metaphysical or the sacred as an explanation, this, this is based upon their general, what I would call an anti-ethic. They don't really have an ethics because everything's relative to them now, or so they think. Um, all virtues for them are socialized constructs or based upon certain social conditions uh, that they've unconsciously adopted, they would say, over time. And it's just a system that may work or may not work. And this is why you have uh, cynical, nihilistic lawmakers who just create things that are pragmatic without caring about anything concerning a real uh, person. What, what is underneath everything? Anyway. Um, yes. Um, so, sorry. Yes, go ahead. Oh, no, no go ahead. Okay. Um, this brings us to an interesting topic that I also wanted to ask about. Um, in your thesis, you also posit, by the way, um, an additional thesis, I think, namely that uh, there is some kind of a historical development uh, of collective human perception to be discerned. Of course, this is uh, quite in line with uh, Guénon's and Eliade's um, analysis, uh, which of course state that um, we are in a process of devolution in a certain way. Um, devolution instead of evolution, uh, regress instead of progress. I will quote something from your book and I would like you to, uh, to comment on it. You say, I do argue that different phases of traditional art from around the world indicate different steps in the evolution of human consciousness with this evolution leading in the direction of increased awareness of difference. This increased awareness of difference may be described as a movement of conscience, consciousness away from awareness of unity and towards awareness of duality. And you add in a note, at this our particular moment in world history, it may be necessary to point out 
that the apogee of awareness of difference that I write of is awareness of the uniqueness of the individual, not of any race or gender or political tribe or any superficial identity. This perspective, which is the substantiality of the individual, excels that of any group identity. It is the Aristotelian perspective of which the Lockean perspective is a later Western iteration. So my question is, how far do you think um, that this awareness of difference and this evolution away from the sacred center uh, can yet progress, can yet proceed? How far is current Western civilization collectively advanced on this road and how far can it still go? Can you say something about that? Yes. Um, when I refer to the, the term duality in that passage, this duality refers to the physical world. So the evolution process in Gainan's terms, again, is the metaphysical principle manifesting more and more thoroughly at a certain level of consciousness in the physical world. And evolution, uh, evolution, again, is going back to the principle. So there's been a process, which we can see in science, of analyzing details of the physical realm more and more over time and trying to find the interconnections on that level of reality between these details, these, this infinitude of, or indefinitude of details that is increasing at a, an exponential rate. Um, Ask me your, the, the fundamental question that you want answered with this again, I'm sorry. So um, if we talk about a collective um, historical development, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Throughout human history, discernible. Um, mm -hmm. How far do you think uh, the human race has advanced collectively um, away from the sacred center and to the awareness of difference, right? As you call it. The, the awareness of individual, in totally individualized difference. How far is Western civilization advanced on this road and how far can it still go? That was actually my question. Right. Um, well, I mean, that's hard to predict. That's hard to say. I, I can say that from the, um, the Hindu perspective, you know, we're in the Kali Yuga, of course, which is um, the most involuted, or devoluted uh, stage in the process of the four ages. So um, perhaps we're nearing the end of this process of the degradation of the metaphysical self and um, soon we'll be um, going back in the other directions toward better understanding of what we actually are, who we are and what we are. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that, that's a lot of speculation you ask in that question. I, I, don't, I don't know if I could say how far we've come and how far we have yet to go. Because in order to answer that question, I would have to, to specify high points and where exactly we started um, going in the wrong direction. I mean, I guess I could give the general answer that somewhere near the end of uh, medieval civilization in the West, we started drawing away. And uh, there was this obsessive concern with what we began to call knowledge, which was based upon empirical perception. Um, but I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to try to predict um, anything in that area, to be honest. 
white warriors, and other new age people. She had no idea what enlightenment is. You think you are fighting for yourself and for your group. This is false. Your ignorance destroys both. That's why I keep saying that the Christian has destroyed the West. There is no more spirit. You will see it in the next few years the destruction of the West. As Putin said it, Western Empire of Lies. The active destruction of what you love, and what you consider spiritual where it is not. And the spirit will not help you because it is not made for that.